What's up guys, it's Chris Trot here. You'll probably know me as Trotty Golf and you are listening to Chasing Birdies. Oh, you guys out there tuning in today on another fresh episode of Chasing Birdies. It feels good to be back with a guest today, but no offense to you though. None taken, none taken at all. Uh, good to see you, bud. Last time I saw you was at the uh, George Burge concert in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's been a little bit, buddy. But, um, um, looking fresh today over there at the office, I see. Yeah, it's a um, big time of the season not, for the boys. But you're not wearing that Red Vanley. Is that a Red Vanley sweater? That is not. I'm sorry. But today's episode is brought to you by Red Vanley. So go check them out at redvanley.com. Dude, I, again, I just end up wearing the joggers everywhere. I wore them twice over the weekend. Uh, I wear the hoodies everywhere. It's just, it's awesome. I love it. It's so comfortable. Yeah, sure is, man. I love the fact yeah. that I don't have to sit there and finagle with my button. Yeah, right. Because that poses a problem to many, especially when you're on a golf course, right? Like, you just want to unleash it and pull it back up, get it in there right. and keep keep it moving. And get it out. So, gotcha. redvanley.com, check them out. Um Man, There's it's been so a long much to talk about. Oh man, I was gonna say it's been a long two weeks. I mean, it's hard to believe that two weeks ago was Thanksgiving, and now in a couple more weeks we'll be at Christmas. But um, how about these college football playoffs? How about <clears throat> the, the four teams in uh, Washington, Texas, Alabama, and Michigan? It, it you know, it just know sets a, it just sets a bad baseline. I think simply because the record no longer matters apparently you got a 12 and 0 team that doesn't even sniff it and i get it because the quarterback the, situation they're actually 13 and 0 bud whatever they're undefeated right but uh, my, that's my point is this has not happened yet to where there's been this much of a controversy in in this it mm -hmm. was bound to mm -hmm. happen and it's finally yeah. here and i don't know i mean I don't disagree. I know all the Georgia Bulldog fans and all our buddies in, in Nashville are Georgia fans for the most part. I don't disagree with that call. I don't Alabama's either. playing really good. You do? No, I don't disagree with okay. you. Okay. Alabama's playing great football right now. I mean, they lost early in the season, but they're playing really good. They beat Georgia in the most important game of the year. Yep. That's the most important game of the year, the SEC championship. So that, that I agree with. Texas, they're on. Washington, undefeated, they're on. And then, who was the other Michigan, one? Michigan, bud. Michigan. Michigan. Another undefeated. And, yeah, another one undefeated. I think personally, and I we were discussing this with our buddy the other day, Brandon, he said 12 teams. I think eight teams is a very comfortable number because 12 teams, now you're creeping in teams that probably shouldn't even be there. Well, it's going to be, I don't know, the 12-team thing is definitely going to make it a little less questionable for certain teams. Like, you know, you're going to have teams that are going to be shoe-ins based upon their schedule and their record. But the four-team system obviously is skewed. Um, but I get it. I get it. You know, it's it's the principle of the fact that the quarterback's been out. I mean, even though they've still won, they just don't feel that it's going to be a high-performing game for them to be in it, and, and, and rightfully so. But uh, 
it was a shocker. And you knew damn well that even if Florida State got in, they weren't going to get in at the cost of an SEC team. There's going to be either Bama or Georgia in it, period. Has to be. I think if Florida State blew out Louisville like they should have, they're in. They didn't really get by by that much. So I don't know. I'm surprised Florida State's not in it, but then again, I'm not surprised because let's in reality, who are you taking out of there? All four teams that are in there technically deserve to be in there, right? Texas beat Bama, and they had one loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could talk about this all day long, but again, the four teams, and I cannot believe—I mean, big shocker, uh, Georgia versus Florida State. Like that wasn't gonna happen, but that's gonna be right. nice to watch, bud. That's gonna be a good game. Buckle the helmets up for that one. Hey, boys, did your Pitt Panthers get in to a bowl game? No, bud, they did not get in. They were three and nine. The Mount- <laughs> my my Thunder and Herd did though. Six and six, boys. Go Herd <laughs> or go home. The Mounties get the Duke Mayo Bowl, man. I gotta, you know, every time Duke I Mayo's, hear Duke, good. I think of Colt Ford every time I hear Duke Mayo. But uh, who are they we'll playing? Get the Tar Heels, UNC, bud. It's going to be up uh, against Carolina. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. I'll take Carolina on whatever they, the points are. Yeah. Because no, I mean, Mountie's been playing good. Yeah. Um, and then this past weekend, we saw El Tiger, El Tigre, make an appearance in the Bahamas. That was exciting. I mean, it is kind of funny to watch him swing it because his swing is so different now than it was. It's, he's compensating a lot on some of this, uh, on some of the moves, which I understand. I mean, he's been through a lot, but he is jacked, dude. How about him walking in on Sunday with the sleeveless and the gym shorts on? Yeah, he's just jacked, and I'm here for it. Look, anytime we get to watch Tiger on TV, it's 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 bonus Tiger round for us, man. Right? Like, good. I don't care if he shoots 76, just to see the guy out there doing it. I I do uh, I do I do like his game plan for next year. Play an event, three weeks off. Play an event, three weeks off. Because you know he's going to time that up to where some flat courses, which there are some flat courses on the PGA Tour, which will obviously benefit him instead of playing some hilly courses. But he made the basically he's going to play and then take two weeks off and then a week leading up to the next event, get after it. And he feels like he can be competitive with that routine. And um, I'm telling you, dude, I, who did we have on that said don't ever? Oh, Rocco. Oh, Rocco. Don't well, ever bet against Tiger Woods. He's going to win. I think he'll win in the next two years. One event. Now, if it's a big event, I can't tell you that, but he's going to win. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And our guest to, Yeah. Yeah. Our guest today, Chris Trott, who was formerly with TaylorMade for years, had many opportunities to work alongside Tiger Woods, just to name a few, Tiger, DJ, all the guys that were with TaylorMade. And um, Chris Trott is absolutely a hysterical human being. Just talking to him, having him on the show, hearing his stories, uh, he tells a story of him delivering a pizza, working for Domino's. I can't contain myself when I hear it's so funny. It's so funny, dude. Yeah, but so who did he, I mean, we'll let you, it's a pretty big musician that he delivered to on accident. Yeah. Funny. 
So let's take this on over to Chris Trot, Trotty Golf on Instagram. You guys probably have seen him before, uh, but here he is on Chasing Birdies. All right, guys, welcome back here to another episode of Chasing Birdies. And we are joined today by an internet sensation, Trotty Golf, joining us here on Chasing Birdies. Chris Trot, my man, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me, boys. And we were early, unlike. Um, the Americans were early, as you stated. We're always early, right? Always early. And I'm looking at this clock, and I was just over there by my kettle, stereotypically making a cup of tea, thinking uh, it's 8.15. These boys are going to be spewing because I'm not there ready to rock and roll. <laughs> uh, no, so, hey. Do you think that's for all Americans, though? 100%. Absolutely. Why, but I wonder why, because you're right. Because I, if it's like 8 o'clock, I'm there at like... 7.40, 7.30, just sitting there playing with myself. <laughs> so basically, I worked on, uh, for people that don't, and I appreciate the intro, but people that don't know like my career, I worked on global tours all around the world, working for TaylorMade, supporting tour players with equipment. So I started my career in Europe, worked with a lot of Spanish, Scandinavians, French. Everyone's late. It just is what it is. And you start late at like 8 o'clock, might be the British that are there at eight o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, the continental Europeans bowl up to the golf course at like three and you don't get home until seven. Then you eat at half eight, nine, and then you go to bed at midnight and you get up the next morning at seven and you go to work. Then you move to Asia where people start early, kind of chill in the middle of the day and then finish late. And then I got to the PGA Tour where people start before it's even freaking light. I don't know if Tiger set that trend on the PGA Tour, but oh, I'll see you on the range at six. What are we? I mean, I'm going to bed now then. You see me on the range at six. I'll just stay awake so I make it for six o'clock in the morning. So uh, kind of like you had to change culturally with wherever you were in the world in order to work with these tour players. It was um, a slight pain in the ass, if I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> it sounds like it. But the funny thing is, to us Americans, people on the West Coast are slow. You know, the East oh, Coast people, we're me. just like, boom, 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 boom. But the West Coast, California specifically, it's like, they're not getting they're not getting going on 9 30 10 o'clock and we're like we already got three hours of work in yeah when i moved to the states and got i started out in texas for about 14 or 15 seconds got a cell phone number and then moved to california and basically i realized that friday is just doesn't doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's not a day like it's almost like no it's not it's not a day we don't bother with friday and then when i got here i started working i started surfing and uh it quickly dawned on me like just yeah why wouldn't you surf i mean every morning no one bothers going to work they just all surf and then you realize that when you start to play a bit of golf here they shut the golf courses on monday that's another thing that's weird about america you join a golf course not that i can afford to and then it's always closed on monday like everywhere in the country yeah yeah, we closed on monday why yeah. are you maintenance what, what do you mean maintenance you, you guys can't get up in the morning to do it before everyone gets out no 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 closed on monday Oh, perfect. I just paid flipping X amount, $1,000 to be here, and you guys are closed on Monday. Cheers for that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Monday it's true, off, though. It's a joke. I don't know what you guys just – you make your own rules up, lads, but you're always on time. <laughs> it's so uh, funny. It's that so Monday, true. It is, Monday, Monday is so true. Yeah. Well, okay. Pikewood doesn't close on Mondays, but I do know every other course is closed on Mondays, and it is. It's like, why can't they just do maintenance throughout the week? Paying tooth and nail to be a member here and they're closed on Mondays. Yeah. 
shit. So man. you're open seven days a week in Europe. Every day is a golf day. Well, it depends on it where you go, but yeah, golf to play golf. Absolutely. Every, every European country would be open seven days a week and the Scandies bless them. They just go and play in like, they're like the Chicago crew. They just go and play in a dome for the whole of the winter and they love it. And they end up being really good, which I don't understand because it's dark for like eight months of the year. And then they're like, yeah, you know what? We'll just go and play inside for a bit and we'll be amazing. It's just, I don't get that. This is brilliant. Well done, Scandinavia. Well, you played on the mini tours for a while growing up, right? Yeah, a long time ago. Um, I did for a little bit, a hot minute. But it was that was one of those things. That, and like, um, you know, I was, I played tons of sports as a kid, then basically played golf, wanted to be a tour player, got offered a job with TaylorMade to give it like the 10,000 feet question. That's a much better story than that. But got offered a job with TaylorMade, left after about a year, Finished my PGA qualification, which I think you guys have as PGA of America. I did really mm. well in that. Went back to playing. Uh, got on some mini tours, but didn't. I mean, I just, it's just hard. You know, there's tons of people doing it. You've got to be a joke good. And I just had its job which with TaylorMade, which I loved. And then I pretty much quit and went back to doing that. And then didn't really play for about 16, 17 years. Well, no, less than that, 10 years. And then started to play again, but was just ingrained in the job. I just liked the job, so it was uh, it was not it was nothing that I really regretted not playing or continuing because I probably I knew I wasn't good enough. Here's me about to say I probably wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough, otherwise I would have done it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we talked about that before, especially in t- today's day and age of golf, man. Like you, you either got it or you don't, and you got to realize that. You yeah. Know? It, Back when I was playing, there was a level that could afford to play and travel from country to country or location mm-hmm. to location, like on the Asian tour or the European tour. You, you could have done it. You could have had a nice life. And you could have enjoyed yourself. But if you wanted to do other things or have other things or have a life and golf not be all of it, it's just not possible. So, you know, I made the choice to go and do what I was doing, which was work on the tour, which, you know, I kind of, I don't know what sort of podcast we're going for here, but best way to describe the job I had is a bit like living in a strip club. You know, you get to see it all, but you can't really have any of the action. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's suitable on this podcast. That's awesome. No, oh, I yeah. love it. We're only seven minutes in. We can start again if we need to. But that's pretty much like the job I had. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that. What a great that's, analogy. That is yeah. a good analogy. And that's what yeah, people yeah. don't realize. Like, I can't tell you how many people think that this person's good and this person's good and i'm like listen you have no clue how good these pga tour players are or the live players or the european tour players they are so freaking good man yeah i think the thing that hit me i spent a lot of time when i lived in asia and australia and um the aussie boys are fantastic and i became good friends with a lot of them and i remember a couple of players would swing it so good like they were sort of golf machine disciples and they traveled around, they played the Aussie tour, they played the Asian tour. And every time these cats are getting on an airplane, it's 12 hours until you see land. You know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll go and play in Asia and we'll go up to Singapore. And they just hop on the plane, no drama, off they go, go and do that, try and make a few quid, come back to Oz. Then they might go 24 hours, get to London and they all had a base in London. Then they go and play the European tour down there. Then the odd one of them would show up in America and you realize there were about 25 Aussie guys, and they could all seriously golf their ball, like all of them. And we had a range of ball speeds from like 150 up to like 180 mile an hour. 
And the bloke with the 150 ball speed, he was making good money. Like his body was falling apart because he was on a plane every other week. But he was having a good career at it. But then there was a level like they were all mates with Adam Scott. They were all mates with Jason Day. And they were like the next level up. And they all just stuck together. And you sort of realize, Jesus, these boys are proper gamers. And they're a proper group of guys that travel the world. They have great fun. But if they go back home and don't make it, they're just going to disappear into Australian golf industry. So they're kind of like, they're going to continue because the Aussie golf industry is tiny. So they're just going to plow on. But you'd watch them hit balls and you'd just be like, wow, they're so good. And it was the same with the South African boys. I remember being at Glen Eagles where the Ryder Cup was played in 210. This was earlier than that. And I was with a guy called Henny Otto. Henny Otto, South African guy, absolute psychopath of a guy, loved to lose his head on a golf course. Then like had like this weird, like life-changing event where he became calm and found whatever he needed to find. And became I preferred the 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 gnarly Henny, to be honest. And uh, he was hitting balls with this R7 quad and had a big dome dint in the top of it where he, I don't know, probably headbutted the thing. And this guy was hitting balls down the range and he was hitting them like 315. And I remember looking down this range, it was downhill a little bit. And I was just looking at this guy move and the face was so stable. And he's asking me what I think of the driver. And I'm like, fuck any, I mean, it's money. I mean, I hadn't moved my eye line for 20 minutes and I remember thinking I could go down there and pick up those golf balls, a good old school pickup with a shag bag, and it would take me about 12 seconds. Whereas if I had a stud here hitting driver, it would probably take me about 35 minutes to pick up the balls. And then you start to realize, like, how good are these guys? And these are the guys that win a couple of times on the European Tour, get in a few majors, make a few quid, go back home. And they're not world beaters. And that's when you realize how tough the game is. But the hard part now, having broken from the game for so long and then come back, it's like, where do you fit back in? Because it's like, you see all these middle-aged blokes playing the mid-ams in America and you're a bit like, I don't know if I can be arsed with that. That's a lot of time. It's easy. It would, would be easy with a bit of practice to get in. Right. But you're like, do I really want to do that? And then like the member guest stuff, it's good fun, but ultimately oh. it's drinking and golf. So it's not really that. serious. And then you've got like, the US Am, where you're like, okay, now you pretty much to play in that and compete, you've almost got to be tour level. So it's a bit hard to figure out. And then I, I looked at a few SoCal things, but the last thing was in like Bakersfield. I went to Bakersfield once and got a cup of coffee and said to myself, I'm never coming to Bakersfield again. And you never <laughs> like, If anyone from Bakersfield's listening to this, I don't know how you live in Bakersfield. So when the tournament was in Bakersfield, I was like, yeah, I'm not going there again. So it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know where my lane is at golf at the moment in terms of playing. I tend to play some great mediocre golf. I'm good at that. Well, getting into the tour life, I mean, was that something that you wanted to get into? Because like you said, you traveled around with the tour. You obviously, probably came boys with some of the players. But, I mean, that's a really cool job. Um, but did that just happen on a whim or was that something you were geared towards doing after you kind of quit playing? I mean, obviously, I wanted to get into it as a player. Um, so basically, I my old man said to me, and I was saying this literally the other week on a podcast, so I'll do it as quick as possible. My old man was like, listen, mate, you're, you're a decent player. You're on the fringes of the England team. The world's a lot bigger than England. Uh, this probably isn't parenting 101, by the way. But he was like, uh, chances of you making it doing this is pretty slim, but you get a qualification, and if you want to play, off you go. Obviously, this day and age, you tell everyone they can do everything and hope for the best. But back then, it was a bit more old school. And he's like, dude, you need you need something where you can make money. I'm not just going to go and let you bum around. 
So obviously I was still loving, living under his roof and stuff. So I took that on board, went to the college, college in the States for like a semester, came back, didn't work out, realized that was quite a lot of work and you never went to class because you went and played for the golf team. So it's like you were given the books. If you didn't read them and you didn't show up for the exams, that was going to be tricky. I figured that out. At that point, I was whatever, black shirt, red shirt, whatever you call it. I was like, okay, that ain't going to work. So I went back to the UK, um, played a couple of big amateur events, didn't play great, started delivering pizzas to fund playing golf. Met Paul McCartney, which is a mint story, which we'll loop back to in a minute. Then carried on playing golf, then went down to Birmingham to the Belfry, got the job, did the qualification. But in the last year, they opened up a million pound range, green grass range. This thing was epic. It was like the modern day driving range back then. And I was working for TaylorMade. Well, on behalf of the of the golf place, the Belfry, for TaylorMade. And we were killing it in sales, flushing. Anyway, bloke walks through the door wearing tailor-made Adidas Max Fly, triple branded. So I was a bit skeptical of the guy straight away because you could only get those tops if you stole them or if you played on tour. So I was like, interesting, who's this guy? Ended up fitting him for a 580 driver, tailor-made, 9.5 with the Graffaloid Pro Light, that red shaft. I don't know if you boys remember that. Right. It, everyone mm-hmm. played the Pro Light. Even my boy Henny Otto that didn't miss a tee shot, he played the Pro Light. <laughs> you basically played that or you played Diamana Blue. So everyone used to think, or oh, Graffaloid Blue. So the everyone Graffaloid used to think Blue, that, I love that yeah, thing. Ever, or EI70 in the fairway wood. Remember that? So everyone was like, fitting was hard. It wasn't hard. You basically had four shafts. And it was like, there's four shafts, and then you just had to pretty much be there and be able to put a grip on that resembled kind of square and know what a swing weight was. Anyway, I get offered this job there and then. This, fella, this Irish fella says to me, oh, you've come in here and you fit me for the exact driver that I play. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, who the fuck is this joker? Like, I, I'm on 1% commission. I'm earning minimum wage. Uh, I'm, I know every deal in every curry house, which is like Mexican food around here, in England, because basically I would had no money. So I was eating like on the two-for-one deals, pretty much every single local restaurant, eating curry six days a week. And I'm like, mate, what can I do for you? And he's like, well, I, I, can't, I didn't come here for a club. I came here to see you. And I'm like, you know, it was before social media, but you'd still get to meet every kook or weirdo through the sun because they were coming for this driver fitting. And basically the guy says to me, how do you fancy traveling the world? And I'm like, this fucking dickhead, like, get out. You know what I mean? And he said, no, seriously, I work for TaylorMade. How do you fancy traveling the world? Paul McGinley, the Ryder Cup captain of 210, had been there the week before. He'd overheard me and my sales patter, recommended me to this guy. Next thing you know, I go three months in the Southern Hemisphere, pretty much fitting tour players. Asked him, called the same guy up after 90 days who I hadn't spoken to for 90 days. In England, you have like three months and they can say, you're in or you're out. And I said to the guy, like, you know, we've hit 90 days or 93 days at this point. Am I still good? Like, you still want me to work here? And he's like, yep, we love you. Keep going. After nine months, I went back to trying to play. After a year, he called me back and was like, listen, you know, or maybe two years. Like, the playing, I see it's going okay, but do you fancy coming back? And at this point, I didn't have a pot to piss in. So I was like, yeah. So it it wasn't that, like, it wasn't that I set out to want to do it. But on the same note, I was good at it and I enjoyed it and I was seeing the world. And obviously, 18 years later, when you walk into a coffee shop in New Orleans and the girl remembers you from the prior year or you get on an airplane out of San Diego and the air hostess remembers you from two weeks ago, 
you start to question to yourself, am I doing the right thing here? Because this has been a long time. I'm now going around the world for the 50th time. I'm going to serve this the same geezers for golf equipment, which, you know, when I started was like Woosnam, Faldo, Lyle, Seve, Alathabal, like my childhood heroes. Now it's gone through Justin Rose. It's gone through Martin Keimer. It's gone through Clarkey. It's gone into working with Tiger on camera, which was immense. And now I'm like, Wolfie, good lad. Morikawa, good lad. They're all good lads. But you're like, am I going to do this again for another generation of ballers? And am I going to basically listen to, which obviously you handle very differently because when they moan at you and you've been doing it through two generations of legends, the answer that you give them is significantly different to the bollocking you receive from Darren Clark when you're a young guy. And Clarky basically tells you you're an idiot and do exactly what I say to this golf club now. And why aren't you back here with it done already? Or Harrington gave me a couple of bollockings over time. Like you would just do it. Whereas as time went on and you were much older and you were like looking at those boys and Wolfie, you know, he's actually a good lad and, and he'd be all over the show and you're watching him hit and, You've heard it all before. It's the same complaints that the players have had through generations. You're just saying it a little differently. And I've been here. I know how to handle this. So at the end, it was like, I need to I need to do something different. Um, and that's when, at that point, we'd had the pandemic. Social media had happened. I'd done a lot more on social media, which you alluded to at the top of the show. And uh, it was like, look, I, I, why would I want to talk to 156 players every week when I can talk to now 300,000 people about golf equipment. Now, not all of them are particularly well-educated, and that's fine. There's my opportunity. And there are people beyond the beyond tour players that you can talk to. But I remember I went for a spell, and like with the last six, eight weeks on tour, all I did was change the loft on people's putters. And it's like, because in the end, I, I did a lot of time on the putting green because mm-hmm. putters I had, it was the only place I hadn't really worked. So when there was an opportunity to work on a putting green, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Plus, it was a bit of a dogfight, and I kind of like dogfights, you know. Tailor-made putters are quite unique. They're very performance-based. Some people want to play Scotty Camerons or they want to play blade-looking things. I love it. If that's what you want to play, great. But if you're planning to pay the rent or the mortgage on your house or to go down in major history, then the performance benefits of a mallet putter are going to help you get there. It's just a fact. So I enjoyed telling that story to players. But I also realized, like, when all I'd done is move the loft from a West Coast setting to an East Coast setting in six weeks, I was like, fuck, I got to change jobs. This, This sucks. Wow. That's pretty, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, the, the tour players, I mean, it, they're the best at what they do and they know what they like. And to a certain extent, some of them are pre Madonna's right. Um, but, but the tour players changed there as well. So if you think about it from the nineties, when I started like a low squeezy peeler down a 470 yard par four with shit left and boonies, right. You'd tee the ball low, you'd hit it out the heel with your Graphaloid blue, and you'd hit a little peely cut that would go 275. Then you'd knock a rescue in there, you'd two-putt and you'd walk out. Now, Wolfie, Morikawa, Kepka, they're literally standing there and it is full sensman. And they're going in with wedge or nine iron. So the yeah. game has changed massively. So the players back in the day knew what they wanted and they would mess around with lead tape, which then became weights in the head or... But nowadays, it's like, look, dude, I just want to launch it, 
at freaking 14. I want a smash factor that's efficient. I want a peak height that is high as you can make it, a descent angle that changes if I'm only in the UK. Everywhere else, I want it descending from a freaking satellite. And I want the biggest first bounce you can give me and let's go. And I want it to sound muffled. No problem. I can do that. That's so exactly the same. The order. muffled sound, the real quick, the muffled sound, is that where that hot melt comes in? Yeah, yeah. But you position it differently based on how a player delivers the golf club. So if someone squeezes it, then you might put it in a different location to if someone's really shallow. But the guys who are shallow, they can play less loft. And if you play less loft, you get more speed. And if you get more speed, you get more energy and more energy needs more distance. So it's once you know what you're doing, it's a bit like a really good chef. Once you know how to make the dishes, you can make the dishes. And the hard part is, is like with you get to a certain, I was with J.R. Smith last week at Pebble, and you get to a certain point, like he's almost there as a player. And he, you know, can benefit from certain things that a tour truck can give him. Whereas he's getting fit because he can't, he has to change golf clubs every 14 seconds. He's getting fit by people that maybe aren't that knowledgeable. So when he bowls up and sees me and he's seen 1,500 fitters in between, I'm like, JR, it's fine. You can turn up here with whatever you want. But the way I do the freaking steak, Diane, for you is going to be the same way I do it for Kepka. And it's the same way I do it for whoever else asks. And by the way, mine will be the best. So you do what you want. But the way I'm going to dial you in is going to be better because around that corner, we've got a tour truck that I can do anything. And they can't do that. So are you open for business? Like if I come out to Cali and I mean, if we did, come, come out and work with you, get you fitted up. You want to negotiate the price now with everyone listening or you, how do you want to do that? I mean, you know, we might set a new record for club fitting, so we might want to keep that between us. Um, no, I look, I don't do commercial fitting now. Right now I'm just having a little break from it. I'm going full out on the social media stuff. Um, but with that said, I do, I did something recently at the kingdom. So I dare say, the odd thing I might do, or if it's set up through TaylorMade, or if it's on camera, I'm just having a. I wouldn't say a, high, a break or anything, but I'm I'm yeah. full on all about it. That would that would be a good um, camera to have a camera getting Ryan Bashauer fit because you know he went to another company and all they talked about was land angle, and that's all I hear about with his five hybrid. But land angle is <laughs> dependent on where you're playing and the speed you've got. You know what I mean? You don't want the same land angle at Tory as you do at flipping Hoylake. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want a five-wood oil lake, to be honest. But you mentioned something. We got to go back. You skipped over it real quick, and uh, I got to go back to when you were delivering a pizza and Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah, that's a good story. So basically where I lived on the Wirral, um, there was a pizza. Re- Domino's franchise came to the UK. I obviously was back home. I just left college in the States. It was pre-going to do anything else, delivering pizzas. And just one winter's night, you used to take as many deliveries as you could locally because you don't get paid 50 pence for each delivery. So when you saw a local address, you'd snag it and off you go. So I saw this local address on a road down on the Wirral, grabbed it, um, very dark street, back when it was pay-as-you-go cell phones. And obviously I'm running like, as most kids were, about flipping a dollar or a pound on the cell phone credits. So I'm this ain't good. So I'm trying not to phone the number as I can't find the house because I don't want to use the cell phone credit. And I'm losing my mind because obviously every minute you're out there, you're killing yourself because you can't get back and deliver more pizzas. And more pizzas means more 50 pence pieces and more 50 pence pieces means more money. All of this, by the way, equates to like, I don't know, a quarter. So it's nothing. So anyway, I'm cruising, trying to find this place. Can't find it. The pizza's in the back of my car. 
because I'm trying not to have the smell in the car for when I was chasing girls. You didn't want your car smelling a pizza. So it's in the <laughs> trunk. And I'm like, this ain't going to be the home of the heat wave when I get this thing to the door. It's going to be flipping the home of the polar ice cap pizza, but whatever. <laughs> so it wasn't actually for McCartney. It was for this uh, this house down the road, which I found out later. And the guy was a, a hairstylist for the celebs up on in the north, like Manchester. Mm. Manchester was becoming a great town because Man United Football Club was doing well back then. Anyway, I got after like 10 minutes, I think, screw it, I'm going to ring the number. So I'm going to sacrifice my last 60 seconds of phone credit to speak to some bumbling mess and ask them where their house is. I dial the number and the number's wrong. It's been input wrong into the goddamn ticket. So I can't ring this geezer now. So I'm like, okay. So, so I call back to the office to check the address. And all I get before the credit runs out, because you have to call a generic number, is Domino's Pizza home with a heat wave. And then it goes, it just cuts out. So I'm, I'm on my own now. I'm in this street with no lights and it's dark and, I, and I've got this cold pizza and I'm just like, for fuck's sake. So all the houses, it was a wealthy street and all the houses had gates and security cameras even back then. And I can't even, I, there's only one house that I can access. So I think, screw it. I'm going to have a throw of the dice. Hopefully this is their pizza. I'll give it to them and I'll run because it's going to be cold as hell. And I'll just go Domino's Pizza, home with the heat wave, which you men say at every door. I never said it at one. <laughs> I'd just be like, all right, mate, here's your pizza. This is England. <laughs> don't do customer service. And they sure as hell don't say Domino's Pizza, home with the heat wave. So I get to the front door. I knock on it. Geezer comes to the door. I'm obviously all pissed off. I've got the jacket on because I'm freezing, not because I want to wear it. And I've got the cap on. And uh, I've got my head down. I look up and it's Paul McCartney and I look at this guy and I look at the name and the name says something like Nicky Collins or something. So I look at this guy again, I look at the name and I look, I must look so gutted and I'm like, well, it's not for you, is it? And he, <laughs> he looks at me and he's like, uh, well, you're looking for an address, mate? And I'm like, I am, yeah. I said, and I wanted you to be this guy and you're not, are you? And he's like, don't they, he says to me, don't they guarantee that you get those things to the door hot? I said, this thing ain't getting to the door hot, Paul. And he says, <laughs> I said, now, do you know where this person lives? And I show him the address. And it's typical, like, for me, local Liverpool boy chatting to a local Liverpool guy. And he's obviously, he's never at that house, apparently, but he was there. He went and asked his missus at the time where the house was. She says down the hill. And as I'm sprinting down, like, his shale stone driveway, he says to me, oh, good luck, fella. Like, I hope you get it there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. See ya. Just ran off, and he, he loved it, loved it, loved it. Great. That's awesome. That, so that is was hilarious. Exchange with him as like a seventeen-year-old. I managed to find the house, gave him the pizza. They must have thought, like, what? What is this? They would never have ordered pizza from there again. And I was out of phone credit. Yeah. So you're out of phone credit. You delivered a cold pizza. Needless to say, did they keep you on board or what? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was flipping the outskirts of Liverpool back in the nineties. They weren't firing anyone. If you had a car and you could deliver pizza, you were in. You're in. You're in. <laughs> you're set. You're set. That is yeah. so good. Oh shit, man. So the, I, I don't even know what to say because I'm sitting here <laughs> listening to you talk, and not it's, only is this incredible, but it's like how how precise these guys are like you're talking about putter loft moving from a west coast to the east coast green like what is that yeah i mean absolutely i mean you so you there's i've done it on my youtube channel before there's things that you look at for loft because obviously the grass changes in england we just have mud and grass in america you guys have poana zoysia rye like you love a grass 
like I don't know what it is with you guys. You love a grass type. And basically, yeah. each Shape. grass that you're on, the ball needs to launch and skid differently. So I was obviously fortunate enough. I have a good relationship with the guy. I really like him. Spent a ton of time with Jason Day. And to, in my opinion, you're working with the best putter there in the game. So Jason quickly was sort of really, as you go through the job, you learn from those boys. But it was very much like, listen, mate, you know, this ain't right. This ain't rolling right. And then you each tour event has, there'll be scientist guys there. There'll be engineers there. There'll be fitness people. There'll be nutrition people. And obviously, a lot of the time, these guys are hanging around and everyone's interested in equipment. So being one of, if not the lead guy at the time for TaylorMade, you were obviously in a lot of conversations. And then you'd see people from one stop to the next, to the next, to the next. And because you'd worked through generations of players, the respect you had and the way you could talk and what you could talk on was, it was deep and everyone's just talking golf. Everyone's geeking out on golf. So when Jace was like, look, mate, you know, this ain't right, this ain't right. I'd obviously at that point have worked with an engineer, talk to that engineer about what things need to look like, what the optimum role is, go back to Jace, figured out a way to do like a launch monitor on the putting green with a Sharpie and lines and a, and a, and a cell phone with a slow, piece, uh, slow motion camera. And just you, you dial in the perfect ball launch for putting, basically. And that's when I really became sort of fixated with like mallet putters, deep CG, the right loft. How can you improve that? What about arm locks? What about other models that are out there? What really are the best putters? Because honestly, there's no reason that the three of us couldn't be the best putter in the world. I mean, could we be the best drivers of the golf ball in the world? I don't know. You lads look like you're in shape, but I know I couldn't be. But I, I could be I could be the best putter in the world, right? Yeah. We all could. It doesn't take a lot of talent. Just like you could be the best sand player and the best chipper. So it was it was an interesting concept. I learned a lot from it. And I came out of those year or so working on the putting green with a different mindset and approach towards putting, for sure. That's, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, again, that's the difference in winning, though. That's what people don't understand. It is literally, you know, two, three putts throughout the four days that make such a huge difference. It comes down to your putter. Yeah, but the other thing is, though, which you guys wouldn't consider and no one would consider, now there's heat map. You've seen those heat maps you can get for the greens so you can figure out, like, mm -hmm. where the upslope is, where the downslope is. So basically there are heat maps, and the tour stopped. The, the, there was a spell when the green map would have numbers on it, and that would be the degrees of slope. And then you'd see the players doing aim points, so they'd calibrate the distance from the eye for the break. Have you seen that? And then they feel yeah. the break in their feet because they can't trust their eyes. So your, eye, your feet and your, your balance is more accurate than your eyes. So then you'd figure out their break points and the aim points. And there became a point where there is a point, it exists. You get these tour pros, they'll know where the flags are. And then what they'll do with their wedges or their approach play, they'll deliberately leave it on the fall line. So they don't want a 3% breaking putt for birdie. They want a zero percent or a one percent so if they have to leave their iron shot at a different angle to getting more aggressive say they've got 165 and they can hit nine or wedge but the wedge is going to leave them at a better fall line to make the putt they'll hit the wedge 
And it's like, that's, that is the detail that we're now in. And then obviously I touched to it earlier. You'd have a feel orientation for players who could hit like a necky cut 260. Now that doesn't exist because players know that, well, analytically, I only miss a certain way. I know that my ball launch conditions are this. So back in the day with like Seve and Alathabal, there was, well, I can, you want me to hit one? They don't know what 33-yard chip feels like. But they can hit you a shot from here to that 33-yard target. It's all feel. Yeah. And there's a story of Ernie Els practicing at the Floridian. I don't know if anyone's been there, but down on the left edge of the bottom of the academy range, there's these, uh, they have like these humps and hollows. And in the humps and hollow, hollows, there's a cement paving. And he was he did a test with his wedges prior to getting the yardages to the pavings. And he hit like seven out of 10 paving stones. Then they gave him the yardages and he hit 10 out of 10 paving stones. So it's like, there's a player with great feel as well as distance control. Now you need to give these guys like numbers for everything, you know? So it's, uh, the game's changed. The get, the, there's... There's a lot, you need to have a lot more around you. I think you can get, I look at these kids practicing. I think they can get burnt out. I think the guidance of, to the kids is sometimes poor. I think you actually need to be quite intelligent now as a parent to guide your child to play. Like obviously now I'm getting to an age where I've got some older friends who've got kids that are playing to a high level of golf. And, you know, I watch their kids practice and they're almost as efficient as, as tour players. And they're young, you know, I mean, they've got loads of time. That's great. But it's about being efficient with your time and having using AI that's coming in now as to what to practice on for your game and the benefits it has for your game. Like, again, back to putting, I can tell you that 45% of my practice time should be spent on my putting. Like, I can tell you that based on the data that I keep on my own golf game. But tour players are living in that space. We we went through a stage where we looked, we were chatting to um, Reed. Patrick Reed about signing him and uh, Taylor May created a deck. This is going back a while ago, so it's no longer confidential information, but his eight iron to left for a left pin was not efficient. His eight iron was missing left more than any other club in his bag to a left pin. We went immediately downstairs to the PGA tour department and his eight iron lie angle was off versus the rest of his set. And Taylor May had told him that in the conversation about what they could do for his game. He was blown away. He was like, how have I gone all season with my A time being off versus the rest of the set? That's crazy. You mentioned somebody that a lot of people had did not get the opportunity to watch. Uh, he's passed away, but Seve Ballesteros. He, his short game, watching those shells, wonderful world of golf gr- growing up, his short, he literally could get up and down from anywhere. Yeah, but I think the thing is, obviously right now, I don't know when you guys are putting this out, but the Mayo stuff through Victor Hovland's, uh, Victor Hovland's coach, mm-hmm. it's got loads of stuff out, the Trackman Maestro about low point and um, attack angle on chipping. And then you've got the short game chef, Parker. He's got all stuff about being shallow and he'll show pictures of Matt Kuchar. And then you've got Ridyard, who is also shallow. So these are like high-end coaches, and then there's that guy, Dan Greaves, I think, in the UK. And he's got different release points. The thing to me, all of those methods are great. And then there's the Tucson guy on social media who talks about a toolbox of chipping. I agree with every single one of them as to what they're saying. Joe Mayo is the first guy. But every one of them. And I think they make great content. And it's a great talking point. 
But the best thing about Seve is that he had all of that and he had all of that understanding before any of this even existed. And I'm not saying that these coaches are wrong. I'm saying it's great. I'm just saying that Seve had it all and Seve In figured it all out without a launch monitor, without a camera. And the only downfall of Seve at the end was that every coach had got close to him and he tried to share his ingredients and his powers with everyone. And he'd obviously got into a state of paralysis by analysis and it had ruined him. And, and you know, he, he could no longer... But talk about, like, a character. Talk about someone who was charismatic. Obviously, you know, a, 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 an athlete-looking black bloke, even back then, but just charismatic. Mm. And I think for a while there in the 2000s and maybe the 90s, Faldo set a precedent for, like, psychology. Tiger did it as well. You have to be a certain way. And that and Duval, and that took the characters out of the game, for sure. Now we're at a stage where you've got a generation that has reacted from that. Do we have characters? Maybe not, but we're definitely at an interesting point because Bryson is now doing the social media thing because he realises that there's revenue and fame or whatever mm-hmm. he had there. So he's letting people into his world. Brooks is obviously over it. So he's just going to be him and he wants to portray a certain way. So I think we're getting back to how you might have some characters, so to say, reemerge here as the world is allowing the personalities of these guys to come out. Netflix series is giving people a chance to be a bit more than just closed off and you don't have to be like Faldo anymore. By the way, you never yeah. have to be like Faldo. That was just, he was world number one and people follow the trends. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, the social media world, I mean, again, y- y- your platform is incredible. You watch your videos, yeah. you can learn from your videos, just, just sitting on my couch, scrolling there, drinking a tequila, right? And, you know, I watched the other day, you were talking about, a, I think it was a 60 degree you had in your hand and it was a kind of a shitty lie and, and how to just chunk it out basically. Um, and these, these are all great tips that people can learn from, from your social media that you're putting out there and it is spreading like wildfire. It's crazy. The social media game is nuts. My only thing with that is I, I was late to the game and I was late to the game for good reason. And I'll come back and tell you a story as to why that was. But the second thing on social media, just keeping it on there. I think I put a lot of great content out there that might be over people's heads because I think the demographic is perhaps a little younger than what I'm aiming at. My following is a little more middle-aged, so to say. I look Mm -hmm. at some of the guys who are having huge success out there and, you know, the content is more entertainment. I I can entertain and I like doing that, but obviously I want people to improve at golf and I want people to make the right equipment choices. And it's like the situation, real life situation, I with J.R. Smith the other day. If you have the right equipment, you can improve by point for amateurs, 0.5 of a shot a day. Over four days, that's two two golf shots. That's huge in a tournament. And I'm used to getting tour players like 0.1 of a shot improvement. 0.1 is massive. If I can improve Jason Day on a putting green by 0.1 each day, he is strokes gained, making a few million quid by the end of the week. And that's where I've come from for this. So when you get people who have no idea on social media who chime in and they're a little bit like, oh, well, you know, this is wrong, that's wrong. I don't give a shit, mate. This has come from the best players in the world over three generations. You sit there and continue to suck at golf. 
I'm not going to chirp you and I'm not going to say anything bad to you because I represent some amazing companies that are supporting my journey and I would never want my name to look derogatory against theirs. You do what you're doing, buddy, but I'm telling you that the best in the game have done this. Anything I'm putting on there, I've either seen firsthand from the best players in the game or I've done it myself to their equipment. It's as simple as that. So I, I, it's, a, it's a toxic, strange world. That it is. It, it's massive opportunity, but on the same note, like I went to the story I was going to tell, I went to a Formula One garage years ago with TaylorMade Europe. They built a truck and it was a tour truck that was built off of, I think it was the Ferrari guys who'd made the truck for the F1. And I went there with them and we were shown round, we were toured round. And there was an Italian fella, obviously Ferrari. And he, he gets up from like, he was doing something with the car. He gets out from under the car he sees us there, group of young lads at the time, sort of huffs and puffs, rolls over, walks over to us, gives us the spiel of what's happening, says goodbye, goes back to the Ferrari and continues his job. I remember then, fast forward in like 15 years, I'm on the tour truck, you've got the barrier, I'm doing something fairly important. There's five or six of us working. The wheel, the blades are going. It's noisy. The instruction fans are going. The music's playing. People are working. A group of VIPs come on. Boys are like, Trotty, you're up. Of course I'm up. I'm the only one who can be slightly polite out of all six of us on here anyway. So I put the shit down. I walk over. I basically say hello to these VIPs, schmooze them, go back to my job. And then I, it reminded me of that guy in the Ferrari situation. And it was at the time when like, me and my golf guys were doing really well on social media. They'd stayed with me in Asia. They'd left their jobs. They'd traveled to Australia. They were coming home. And on my sofa, they tell me they're going to get involved in this thing called me and, my, uh, me and My Golf TV on this website, www.youtube.com. I looked at these clowns and I was like, good fucking luck, boys. I mean, good luck. Obviously, fast forward now, they were the OGs of this whole thing. But they said to me, almost like, five years ago. You have to break the silence. There's so much stuff you know and have seen. You have to start putting it online because then you're in control of what you're doing. You're in control of your own destiny. You're building a brand for yourself. It's all well said and done, but how many more times can you travel the world on a tour mm -hmm. truck? And it was, it was a poignant moment, and I really appreciate those guys for saying it, but ultimately that's why I dived into it. And, you know, there are some videos that you put out and now I'm trying to make stuff that's maybe bordering on a bit more entertainment. Do I love that? Not really. But on the same note, it then brings more eyes in that I can educate on equipment. Right. Equipment is ultimately my favorite thing. I like teaching golf. I like the history of golf. I like the future of where golf's going. I love data. I think data capture now, you see it in all sports. I've been watching quite a lot of soccer and stuff and and obviously you see it in the nfl and the trackers that the players have now data is just dominating how we coach how we train it's it's brilliant players will always be players artists will always be artists and guys like me that are interested in the the behind the scenes you're always going to have too much information to be a master you know what i mean it's just masters just look at messi when he plays football it's like art you know what i mean yeah. the guys like me you 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 know too much to be super. When when you were with TaylorMade um, and Tiger was was he a very 
analytical person with his numbers. What what he is, and this has struck me from interviewing him and being with him on film sets and being around him, he is a master of he will not allow the conversation to go deep. He will categorically not allow it. Now, people will say to you, oh, that's closed off, or you're a shit interviewer. No, 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 no. The game, the only information that truly matters on a launch monitor is how far does that ball carry? It doesn't matter if you spin it a six iron at 6,500 or 5,500. It's how far it carries and how consistently can you carry that ball, that number. And he will not allow anyone to take him off that. And that is the genius of him. And I think, you know, I have a couple of kids and my son is pretty talented with sport. He's got a good, like a lot of kids, but the simplicity that if you can... Get across to those kids. Be simple. There's only one thing that matters. It doesn't matter if you look like you've just fallen out of a tree to swing that golf club. If it goes 81 yards and you're trying to hit it 81 and you can hit it on a high, medium, low flight, 81, mm-hmm. you will be a winner. It's as simple as that. And and that's my biggest thing with Tiger. Like He will not allow you to get... And when he's dragged into these scenarios, he's obviously dragged into it probably for 60% of his life and he hates it. And you obviously have a huge corporate sponsor like TaylorMade that needs him to say certain things about certain things. And it's hard to get it out of him sometimes. Um, but TaylorMade also understand it a lot more because guys there are in tune with the game. You know, it, it's, it's a, they're a good company. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that video with him and Scotty Scheffler that gets, keeps getting played over and over where he blew Scotty Scheffler's mind is hilarious. Yeah, obviously what he's talking about, and that's how you know he's talking about the numbers in the D-plane and having his attack angle at a certain level for the path that he wants and the ball position he's got. And when he says, oh, you know, I'm just zeroed, he's talking about basically having as as close to zero low point as he Mm -hmm. can where the base of the ball is. Um, and, And I think if you look back when he's under the pump or over the years or different swings or different backs or different body positions... There are divots he's taken that have been nine inches long with a low point that might be eight inches past the ball and going down 10 to 15 degrees on a pitching wedge. So it all really depends where your game is and where you're at. And I mean, he inherently halfway down in the downswing has been a little steep over time, but the guy's won multiple majors doing that. Phil has been in the same place and won multiple majors. So yeah, it's just his interpretation of the game is where he's at. And that's why I think he knows a lot more than what he lets on. But his masterful play is that he can keep it simple. Well, that's the thing. Like with him, it kind of correlated into this new generation. And and I was going to ask you, like being at TaylorMade, they're loaded with talents of, of players that they, they have on the, uh, you know, playing the clubs. But it's like, how do you decipher like who what's the best ball striker current in current day that you see? But it's like the list goes on. It's like you got McElroy, you got Rom, you got Morikawa, who is a stud with design. Like, how, how do you even, you know, argue that? Like, who is the best? They're, they're, it's like, mm. I don't know. Maybe you know because you worked hand on hand. Data. But from our perspective, it's like, data. they're all... Data tells you, data tells you, data will tell you who's the best from what yardage and where the flag position is. 
who's the best at the fade, who's the best at the draw, who's the best when the turf conditions get firm, who's the best. That's why Morikawa changed his irons when he played the Scottish and went on to win the Open. Because data, and that, and that's the new world we're in now. Um, data. And it's the same, like I say, in other sports. The, the, the coaches know when the player has ran an amount of miles that makes them in their perfect window, and they know where they lose performance and they've got to take them yeah. off. So, so uh, yeah, for the common viewer, but that's where golf viewership is so wrong. And that's the huge opportunity for TGL. And I don't know if TGL will go down this route, but this is the route I would go with it all. And it's like, reveal the data. Now you've got guys playing simulator golf into with a launch monitor that is going to show you data. How are you going to capture the audience with that? How we, you know, mm -hmm. this whole PJ, why do guys change their equipment? Data. Why are we, I, I get it. It's maybe not that sexy, but you can educate on it still and then throw in a DJ Khaled or whoever to, to, you know, make it fun because you need the fun to bring the eyes in. And then the opportunity is to educate the eyes. That's yeah. the way to go. Because the bottom yeah. line is everyone who's getting educated on golf at some point is going to look at a driver. What do they go for now? 699? I don't know. 599? I don't know. Yeah. You're going to spend 600, 700 bucks on a driver. You better freaking know what you're doing if you're going to spend that on a golf <laughs> game. Right. Trust. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. where the opportunity is. And that's why I do not understand that the guys involved with the PGA Tour, the guys involved with NBC, whatever ESPN, it doesn't matter. I get it entertained by getting the Steph Currys to play the games against Aaron Rodgers and whomever else do that because that's mega. And seeing those super talented athletes go at it at anything is mega. I'd watch mm -hmm. them play a freaking game of tiddlywinks or flicking a <laughs> I think it's They're a different level, mate. They have a gear that we don't have that they want to win. And that's why they do what they do. And that's why they're the best. But the bottom line is you've got to go down a route to educate the layman so we can try and learn from it too, you know? Well, I um, I got, I went down to the Greenbrier for the Live Tournament this year, and just watching these guys on the range, man, watching DJ and Kepka hit it, and Cam Smith, and all these guys just do what they do. It's like three of the three of the best players that are out there right now in golf. Cam Smith, yeah. genius, and and Dustin, Dustin. When I got to the states, was maybe like the the least understood guy for me, uh, but a, a savant. An absolute genius. Genius. Yeah. No, he is. That's awesome, man. I mean, and again, we could talk about the technicalities, but I do agree with you. The data is where it's at. The data is where it's at. But these companies are, are changing golf clubs now based on data. And as, mm -hmm. as, as things go on, and how do you think a carbon wood came out? It came out through Formula One. Formula One is so far advanced with data. Cycling is data. Surfboards are data. Everything you snowboards are data skis. It's yeah. everything has now got to a point where we're using every piece of science we can to improve what we do, which is ultimately why in the future you're only going to buy golf clubs based off of data. Data, yeah. and you can go and see a golf coach in the future. And if that guy doesn't improve you, I think the future of golf coaching you won't get paid. It, it, we, a golf coach that signs up to a data package with their client. And it's like, we got 12 weeks. Here's the situation. You must put this number of hours of practice in, in order for you to pay me. If you go below the hours, you pay me X. 
if you go above the hours and improve this much, you pay me why. That's the way I would. That's the way I will do it eventually. Well, I'm going to sign up when that day comes. Hey, real quick, this Taylor made new driver. It sounds like a new Infinity car model, man. A QI10. I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> I couldn't possibly tell you anything about it. I don't. How do I know? I can't tell you. We're all under embargo until uh, things get going. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just saw there's a couple of players testing it, so that's good. Yeah. Boy, they always got something up their sleeve. All I can say to you is if they're testing it and they're playing it this far ahead of launch, then obviously this thing is going to be good. Because everything I've said to you in the last 25 minutes is about the Rory McIlroy knows every single aspect of his game in a live view based on data. There is no comment he comes out with that isn't backed up by data. That's why he said what he said about winning a Ryder Cup on foreign soil might be the hardest thing to do in golf. He will have that backed up by data. It, it's not, and that's what pisses me off when you play golf with amateurs and like, I didn't pop very well today. How do you know? Did, didn't you? I don't know. Look, look like you put it pretty good to me. How'd you put last week? Because I bet it was just as shit as what I saw today. You know what I mean? Whereas, <laughs> Basically, with Rory, he's just not going to make a statement like that, which is why going back to what you allude to, and I can't touch on it too much, and nor do I want to, because you know it, the, the companies will handle the launch of these clubs how they want. But all I'm saying is if he is playing that now, there will have been a channel of things that need to happen, and there'll be a lot of executives in the Carlsbad building that Taylor made that will be very happy that that club has gone into play this quickly. Enough said. I like it. It'll be good. We're here with Chris Strott, man. You gotta, you gotta, you guys out there gotta follow him on his social handles. Trotty Golf, uh, YouTube channel blowing up. I mean, you you are. It's 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 fun to watch. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'll go through a period in the first in the start of next year when all of these um, embargoes raise, and it will literally be content around building your perfect set of golf clubs. And that's kind of the vibe I've taken with it, and that's what I'll take through the start of next year and. You know, yes, I'll see the new driver here pretty soon and get some reaction on that that I'll capture for YouTube. But it will also be like, look, if you want this thing, this is how you get into it. And this next 24, this next 12 months, I plan to do a lot more on like data, which again might not be that sexy for everybody. But I'm telling you, like, if you want to win your member guests or your member members or member pros or whatever, if you turn up, and you know that you need to drink X amount of transfusions to right. find your gold spot. We'll get it in the data. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like my sweet spot at this at this number of beers is perfect. Any more, exactly. any less, it's not great. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it, man. Well, dude, it's been awesome connecting with you. Um, we're going to turn this over to the last segment of the show called the Tap-In Segment presented by Red Vanley. Check them out at redvanley.com. Jonathan's going to ask you four questions that demand your quick-witted response. All right. What PGA Tour player changes equipment the most? It's not going to be a quick response because it's changed so much. Um, You want current, right? You don't want old school. Probably current or old school, whatever. Whoever changed the most you ever worked with. There was a guy old school. You guys wouldn't know him. He's a Scottish guy called Andrew Oldcorn. His nickname was Bagpuss. Again, it's probably a European show that you wouldn't know. But this guy... (laughs) (laughs) Every single goddamn 
day he would be on that trailer. That was a nice guy, but it was every day. And then there was on the PGA Tour, when I started doing a bit more over here, Estes, Bob Estes would change a lot. That was, I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, and then of the new school guys, because everything's data-driven, much less. But believe it or not, and I've come to it, the guy that would change the most because he just thought it was fun, I guess, or it was something he had to do every week or he was bored or someone would suggest something and he'd try it for like three shots and then be no. And he was brilliant and disciplined with it and he didn't give a fuck, but was Dustin Johnson. Dustin for sure. I remember at one point on the tour truck when I was doing putters, I had 17 putters on the truck for him at one point. And it's like... He might play them and he might text me on a Wednesday at like 3 p.m. and be like, dude, I want to try something new. And you didn't know if with him if he was fucking with you or if he actually wanted to do it. Right. So just do it because he's obviously like the pinup boy. Right. And he'd just be like, did I text you? And I was like, yeah, you, t- you told me you wanted this. And he's like, oh, no, I changed my mind. So it was just like he was, <laughs> he was cool as well. I That's really awesome. like him. He's a really, really good guy. Favorite aspect of social media? I think being able to educate people and knowing that I, I sometimes I create some stuff. I, I hate that you have to play to what social media, to the mm. algorithm. I hate that. But mm. when you do something and you know it's making a difference, that's my favorite aspect for sure. Favorite tailor-made club ever made? I liked Stealth One. I really like that personally um and i loved r7 quad because it made uh, so stealth one for personal reasons just thought it was a great club and r7 quad because it really changed my job it really changed like the game that's the sergio garcia days huh yeah rather than making different clubs like we just came out of 500 series and you'd have to heat the hosels and you'd get them red hot, like glowing. And then you'd put a pin in it before you put a shaft in it and you'd bend a face angle or you'd put like hot melt in every club. And I'd been on tour at that point for about a year and the hot melt would burn your hands and you'd just have war wounds from doing this fucking job and you'd like blisters everywhere. And then all of a sudden they made this club where I could screw these weights in and out. And it would take me off. I didn't have to walk to the truck. And I was like, this is a game changer. So that, and then when flight control sleeve came in, loft sleeve, it was known back in the day, mm. or is now one or the other, that was cool too, because that it just made the job a lot easier. Advice for a kid trying to make the PGA Tour? Get lost in the data and do not, I don't know how you do this, but the one thing that has struck me from all of these athletes is there'll be a moment for a kid trying to make the PGA Tour. If they do the data and they follow it, they'll know that like, okay, I'm no good out the rough from 50 yards. They'll know that. Yeah. And they'll figure that out from Clipped or whatever data platform they choose. I think Clipped is the one and now you get it through NCAAs. But there'll be a point and you'll have a shot. And I know the shots that I had in my life now looking back. And you have to ask yourself, and I've had this conversation with great athletes from American football and Aaron Rodgers, through to Jason Day, through to J.R. Smith, through to ice hockey guys, Solani, Gretzky, all these legends. And there'll be a moment at Q School, and then there'll be another moment in winning your first tour event, and there'll be a moment in winning your first major, 
where you're going to have to just sack up and run through the fire. And it's going to go against all your emotions and you're not going to want to do it. And you're going to be scared and you're going to be shaking, but you might have an eight iron off a tough lie and there's nowhere to land it. And you're just going to have to run through the fire and it's going to be scary, but you've done it your whole life. Mm -hmm. That to me was like messaging that came across to me. And you know, if you don't make it, you'll have moments in your life where I had moments on camera with Tiger Woods where you got 70 people behind the camera watching it and you you're in the moment and you look up and realize how important this is to what the game. Yeah. And that for me was like one of those moments without actually hitting a golf ball. But I think from the best of the best, they run through the fire for sure. Last one. What are you chasing? I want to be able to get to a point where I can impact as many people as possible in terms of making great decisions about their own golf games. Um, It's no longer for me about dreams of playing or winning majors, but I'm chasing getting to a place where I know that if I'm around so much great stuff that I can connect and tell as many people, and I know it's quality information. It's not some BS. It's quality, quality information. So I think just getting to a place where I've got the influence to be able to do that. Um, I would ultimately, and this is a big one, but the bigger thing, you know, if we think about golf and we think about where it doesn't matter what you think of these names, but Scotty Cameron, Carson Solheim, they've, they'll live forever in the game. And I still think I have a chance of doing that, be it in a product line or in a fitting sense or in how you get fit. But like my name in this current modern day world could definitely live on beyond me when I'm done with my own career. Now, whether that's a Trotty Golf Academy or whether that's a Trotty Golf Entertainment page or whether that's an equipment establishment, I don't know. But Mm. that would be the ultimate thing because I I don't see me ever stepping away from this because of how much I like it. Like I'll always be involved in the game. It's it's everything to me as sad or as great as that sounds. It is. so just getting people on the right path with it, you know? And that's really why I went into this space. I could have continued on tour. I could have continued at TaylorMade on tour for another 20 years. It was, it was that comfortable. It was that good of fun. Um, so I choose to, chose to do this. And whether it's throw the dice or ask the dealer for another card, I chose, I wanted it. And it's like, uh, you know, there's things that I want to do and stand for. And that's what I'm setting up for now. And that's awesome. And congratulations yeah. for you, to you for taking that jump. So yeah, um, thanks, boys. Chris Trot, oh, man, it. I feel like we could have done this all day and laughed because your stories are hilarious. <laughs> so everybody yeah. tune into Trotty Golf on Instagram on the YouTube channel, and my man, thank you so much. Of course, boys, and uh, good luck in everything you guys are doing. I uh, I keep toying with the podcast. I've toyed with it for a while. So when I when I peg this thing up, we'll get you guys on. I love it, man. Thanks again. Chris Trot here on Chasing Birdies. That was epic. What a, what a guy. It. I love it. Dude, he is so funny. He was stereotypically making a pot of tea. And he said us Americans are always early. He said they'd probably be sitting there waiting. And he's right. I, I am always early. By dude, you're anal half about hour. that shit. By about yes. half hour. Yes. I mean, dude, my time's important. So is your time. So let's... Well, I know it is, but like... 
you don't, you're like overly early on things. 15 minutes is good, dude, but like you're like 30 minutes early and then you're texting everyone like, where, where are you? Well, we, we still got 30 minutes, but what the fuck are you texting me for? Um, Chris Trot, I mean, people, you don't realize what he did for the PGA Tour players. After the interview, you might have gotten a little bit of it, but I mean, he did anything from re-gripping the grips for these guys to designing new clubs uh, to new shafts, making sure the, the players are all taken care of with their golf balls. I mean, there's so much that these guys do. Uh, they're basically like an equipment manager um, for these PGA Tour players. And a lot of them are, and he wouldn't say it, but I know for a fact a lot of them are needy. So um, you're dealing with a lot of different personalities, and Trotty is a beaut. I mean, he is awesome. I wish we were at the point now to talk to him and hear his thoughts on the golf ball rollback, which is inevitable which frankly isn't gonna matter to me but i mean dude you're gonna still hit a 255 no matter what yeah so but it never never fails me to think about these guys and hearing from people like him who are with them and just the different level that they are at when it comes to golf man it's like they're at a level that we can't even comprehend it's incredible I mean, we could go out and shoot our ball. We could shoot even one, two, three under, whatever. And that happens. But we're not doing it to, in, the, in the tactical point that they are, you know, from under the gun. everything. I mean, where do you want the ball to land? Pin high so you don't have a sloping putt? Like, when's the last time you thought about that putt? Never. I very rarely, like, actually read the greens. Or think, right? That's what I'm saying. Like... So, um, yeah, maybe well, you, I should probably look Yeah, maybe. If you listened to the last episode of Banner Session, you all heard that the Chasing Birdies two-man event is in July at Nemecolon Resort here in our backyard, Farmington, Pennsylvania. Everything is poshy right now for the Christmas season. It's beautiful, but it makes a great getaway for you, the wife, the, the counterpart, whoever. Uh, so check them out online at nemacolon.com. Make sure you book your stay. Everything for anyone, no matter what it is. And uh, the chateau is getting ready to get blown up here soon. Well, not that's going to be uh, no, not a, a nice, <sighs> nice change for the 2024 season. But nemacolon.com, they are awesome. Check them out. Yeah. Well, tonight Steelers versus Patriots. What are we thinking? Belichick owns Tomlin. After that lost that last weekend against the Cardinals, which I went to, it was it's just so bad. Um, I mean, bud, you go you go to no game. I really thought that they were gonna have hope, but it's gonna be a tough game for them. I feel. What do you think? I mean, bud, you go to no games, and you mm-hmm. went to a game that lasted eight and a half hours. I know. Like, like I think tonight. I hate to say it, Pittsburgh Nation, but I think the the Patriots are gonna actually. So, uh, just because, like what you said, Belichick owns Tomlin. Um, short week, really short week, basically three days. So it's time to buckle them up tonight, boys. So hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple hours at dinner, bud. All right, buddy. Well, it's always good. I mean, one thing I will say is the Patriots are really bad. Um, but yeah, bud, it's been good connecting with you here a little bit, and always. Thank you guys out there for tuning in to Chasing Birdies. We hope you enjoyed 
this episode today. Thank you to Evo and Allie over at Simpler Media for putting this thing together. Rachel London, Jacqueline DiPaterio for all your social media help. And what do you want to say now? But I got one thing. We're Good. almost sold out of the first round of t-shirt hoodies. Is this a first? Yeah, there's a first for everything. And those things are so dynamite though. So, They're so comfy. Uh, so the, we have another round of them ordered and coming. And uh, they'll be back up on the website. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in. And stay tuned for two weeks. We'll catch you all here.